Alrighty, Starting welcome to hanging out here with the business. lovely Mary Gillette. Richie O'Tay, what's your favorite? Yeah, so you all right, all right. All right, And uh, White Wade's holding down the studio over there. And you're on the best business podcast. Exited from we do sit down with entrepreneurs currently run who have uh, been able to do what so many entrepreneurs aspire to do, which is, of course, to start, scale, and exit a business. And we're fortunate enough to be joined by uh, just some really incredible entrepreneurs and uh, and super excited to have today's guest uh, join us. And actually, Wade, let's uh, let's bring him up right here and right now. Danny, there, bud? Yes, sir. How are you, Steve? Hey, my man. How you doing, brother? Awesome. Good, good. to connect with you today. Yeah, really, really, really good to have you here, man. So let me just ask you this. How, how do you fit the mold of, uh, of the criteria that we set forth here for uh, for the best business podcast? Uh, I think I've built three eight-figure companies and also exited two of them. And exited two of them. Nice. And, yeah. and so just I don't want to butcher your last name throughout uh, today's interview here, man. So how do you I, I've got my own way of pronouncing, but how, how do you pronounce it? Just want to make sure I'm pronouncing it the right way. Cushell. Oh, it is Cushell. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's what I've been saying for years now, but I just want to make sure I'm not actually butchering it all these years because some people are too kind. <laughs> You know, some yeah. people just be like, yeah, that's okay, man. Just keep calling me whatever it you're going to call me. It doesn't mean yeah, he's going to he's not gonna say it again the yeah. right way anyway. I know. So. At, at some point, I'll butcher it here again. So give us an understanding then of the first business that you were able to scale to eight figures. Just just take us back to what that business was uh, and what it did. And uh, that, that's a business you exited from or that's a business that tanked? No, that's a business that I exited and sold. It, it was an education company. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I remember I started it out of my uh, house at the time. It's like a, uh, and I was operating out of a, a den essentially. So what is that like a hundred square feet? Maybe? Yeah, sure, right. Yep. And I ended up bringing on a, a team member who was essentially a volunteer for the first six months that we worked together, mm-hmm. and started building it from there. He worked side by side with me, and you know was handling calls, and we started building up our client base, and then that grew into a four hundred square foot. We we rarely hit the big time. We, so wait, so wait, wait, hold on, back up, back up, back up, back up. Yeah. So education company, what year is this? Are we talking like online online education and person education? What what are we talking about? It was uh, online education. So this yep. is in the 90s. This is in the 2000s. Where this would have been 1999, 1999. when we started. Okay. Yep. And so what was the what was the sort of the the impetus? What what, what sparked the idea? What, why did you get into this arena? Wow. So it, it's kind of a it's been a journey, right? So I've been fascinated, Steve, by direct response marketing since the late 80s, and I worked in a direct mail company. I started my first company that I'd built up and then it, you know, kind of tanked because I just didn't understand. I was young and didn't understand much about business, young and dumb and made a bunch of mistakes. Uh, But we were able to take, you know, messaging. This is pre-internet, put messages in the mail and people would respond and and send, send us money. We'd put ads on TV and people would respond and send us money and people, we'd put ads on radio and and lo and behold, people would actually call and Mm -hmm. they'd buy from us. It was Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I built that, version of a business. And then after a bad breakup with a business partner, I had to regroup. And then I got in the seminar business and, and I started learning about, you know, selling from the stage and, you know, uh, event model uh, type businesses. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, you know, I, then I started a company where we, for simplicity purposes today, we were selling business opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it was enjoyable to, you know, watch people be able to get started to build their dream, to create freedom for them and their family and go make a difference in, in their community. 
And while I was doing that, I was notating like some of the things that I was doing, like a journal I have kept for decades. And I was notating what I was doing so I wouldn't forget hmm. where I came from. And I had journaled some specific strategies in one particular journal. And a friend of mine saw it and said, hey, can I check this out? This looks pretty interesting. And, and she started reading it. Uh, and she was like, do you ever thought about putting this into a book? Mm. She goes, I think this would make a great book. And that, so what it, that did for me, I was like, well, I don't know how to create a book. So I got into the publishing world, right? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I made all the mistakes you could make, right? So this is like the um, uh, mid-90s around this time when I'm kind of going through this evolution. And so I didn't know how to create a book, and I didn't know about self-publishing, and I didn't, I didn't even know that people taught people how to write books and how to do that whole thing. So I did it on my own. I created a manuscript, and then I printed like my first set of copies that cost me like $50 a copy. Holy moly. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and it was this 8.5 by 11 ugly thing. I still have mm -hmm. copies of the original. And, um, and then, then I had someone, you should go to the printer and get that printed into like a six by nine format or whatever. And so I did. And lo and behold, I was able to get my cost down to like $25. Sweet. A Bonus. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And now I had like several hundreds of books, maybe close to a thousand. I was like, how am I going to distribute these right now? Along the way, I had you know, worked with clients in the infomercial business, both on radio and TV and some things. So I had these books, and I was like, okay, how am I going to get rid of them? Like, how am I going to sell them? So all the while here, I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. So all, all the while here, the, the endeavors that you're taking apart, I mean, these are these are six-figure, five-figure. These are not seven, eight-figure type businesses that you're creating at this point, right? Correct. These are six, six maybe low seven-figure uh, companies at this point. And, yeah. mm -hmm. and Dan, mm -hmm. let, me, let me take a, a guess here. It's kind of a joke, but it's a guess. So yeah. next, you thought, infomercials so you started an infomercial company yeah right <laughs> it just seems like whatever you needed next you started a company around mm -hmm. whatever the next thing was sort of mm -hmm. that's funny you say that and i looked at it and i compared so back then tv wasn't like it is today where you can you know, really build a tv production facility pretty inexpensive compared to back then mm -hmm. so i went the other altar i said radio infomercials mm -hmm. and so i created a radio infomercial business where I took I, I took a presentation that I had on uh, on radio, a 30-minute presentation that converted to generate leads that fed in. This is in the keep in mind in the late 90s, early 2000s now. And then what would happen is it would feed into our education program through an automated. Back then we called it teleseminars. Today they call it all kinds of things like webinars, etc. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I and I figured out how to merge different technologies to allow us to automate it. And I'll get into that in a second. But when we got the winning one that you know, we saw that we could bring leads in for almost no cost, then I started mass airing this thing in all kinds of different places, ESPN before it was hip and all, you know, Fox and all these other networks across the country. And we were generating thousands of these leads driving into our automated teleseminar process hmm. to sell our education. Right. Mm -hmm. And now and the, I need the education again was sorry, Dan. The education again was to build. A, it was a biz op type uh, education. It was to build a business actually. Yeah. So it was business education, like how to get started, how to run traffic, etc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Got it. And then, um, and then now we started building these leads, and now we needed more people to you know supply and help support them, and and we had more leads, so we needed people to talk to these people and enroll them. 
right? So, so one thing led to another, and we outgrew the 400-square-foot office. And then I remember, and we had like four people in this office. And then we got like an adjunct to the office that was another 300 square feet. And we had another 10 people that started working with us. And we're building the online fulfillment for it and building all these things. And then I had this idea, and that was going well. And then we also had others who had, you know, generated leads. And they were like, hey, could you uh, parlay your education program and provide it to our clients? And I was like, yeah, sure. So they would give us their leads. So now I had more leads and I knew what to do with. So to fill that need, kind of like what you brought up earlier. So I built a team <laughs> of people and it grew from 10 to 40. And then I got to a point where all this excitement kind of wore off. I looked around and I go, I have 40 people I'm responsible for. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, holy, holy smokies. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. What What's going on here? And I was like, okay, so what do I have to do to double? So we were probably doing... I don't know, 40, 50, 60,000 a month, maybe mm -hmm. 100 grand a month at this mm -hmm. point. And I was like, okay, what would I have to do to double the business? And I started calculating at that time in my head, and it, it felt more manual. It felt like, oh, I was going to have to hire 40 more people. And I was like, oh, the thought of that, like I wanted to shove like a, a, an axe in my eye or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to hire 40 more people. 40 is enough. I, how can I get to 10 mm -hmm. again? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I was like, I started really diving into writing copy online. And I was thoroughly convinced that you could take a, a sales message and put it online. And I was toying with it and playing around with it, testing some things. And it just wasn't hitting the mark. And a buddy of mine named Joshua had come into town and he had another program because I also wanted to build a newsletter because I understood the value of continuity. And I had all these clients getting started, but no real continuity model. He had a newsletter at that time, a newsletter program. And so literally in an afternoon, he flew into Phoenix because um, I'm a big action taker, a big implementer. And we sat down over the course of a day, and once I saw what he had, and I said, well, what if I could introduce you to hundreds of clients a month, literally, like from scratch? And we'll just put it on the back end of my thing. We'll make create a free trial, and then after two to four weeks, they can just you know continue to be on the ongoing continuity, mm -hmm. right? And just we'll part partner in our company, and we'll just add one column in your newsletter with me in it. And he's like, let's do it. So we launched it like that day. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and had helped him get like, I don't know, 50 new uh, clients that day. And then he says, well, what are you working on? Like, this is awesome. I said, well, I'm, I'm really trying to crack the code of getting this online sales message to convert so that I can, I don't want to hire 40 more salespeople because that's what it feels like I'm going to have to do. And he's like, well, let me take a shot. I've had some success with this before. And so I gave him our fulfillment package. I gave him a version of the sales copy we had. And he took it with him on the flight, and he called me the next day. He goes, I've got good news, and I've got bad news. He goes, the good news is I absolutely love your approach. He goes, you are so far ahead of the game with what you're willing to provide in, in value to your clients. He goes, this is amazing. He goes, the bad news is this copy sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And he goes, but I would love to work with you on this and help you, right? So we went through his process, which was very um, – you know, elaborate, you know, essentially we spent a couple weeks together going through angles and, you know, the, the ideal client and all these different psychographic things and demographic things and like our clients, what they really want and all these important things that you want to do in building a marketing plan. 
and uh, and we went through that together, and he was able to elevate my ideals about what we were doing. I mean, it was amazing. It was a great partnership. And so anyway, long and the short of it is, I can remember it like yesterday because we created this sales letter, right? And it was like a 40-page 40, 40 sales letter, right, that was a static sales letter. And it was based on a model I've, I'd used for decades before, a decade before, which was an application model. You know, it's because we wanted to have clients who are pre-positioned, pre-motivated, pre-interested, pre-qualified, and ready to do business with us. And we didn't want it to be fully a sale. We wanted to have them buy into it before. So we set up the model. They'd go through the sales letter, click to qualify. It was kind of like a credit card application based on certain criteria that we set up in our software that if it met, it would say, congratulations, Steve, you're pre-qualified. Right. Mm -hmm. To finalize your stuff, put in your your uh, deposit to be a part of the program, which our program was three hundred dollars. Right. For this front end education program. And so we had a certain amount of people, of course, that would take advantage of it right on the spot. And then we do a confirmation call, make sure they were a good fit, then reinforce it, um, educate them on what would happen next, etc. And we launched it our first day. So my team of like 40 people at the time, Steve, was generating approximately uh, 10 new sales a day. Mm-hmm. So, and I was like, that's not great. No. The- <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How many so prior? But, but 50 a week, right? Mm-hmm. 200 mm-hmm. a month, most people would look at for, for education would be, wow, that's, that's okay. That's pretty solid. I wanted to do, and so we launched our first day. We started generating 10 new sales, all online, all digital, all automated, yeah. 10 a day, the, starting the very first day. We ultimately built that up to where we were generating for that particular program 300 new uh, uh, clients a, a, a month mm-hmm. from it, mm-hmm. all automated, mm-hmm. right? I'm sorry, 300 a week. I said 300 a month. 300 a week. And then we created another education program that was kind of a competitor to ourselves <laughs> because we figured people were going to knock us off. We might as well knock ourselves off. So we created a, a separate division and program that was a little less expensive. And we, at one point, the peak of that, we were enrolling about 2,000 people a week. Yeah. So, I mean, look, obviously it was, you ended up getting this thing dialed in, ended up being a a massive success here. At the peak, what were you doing revenue-wise on that business? Uh, 28 million a year. So on that, okay. So 28 million a year on that. And you ended up with, how many employees did you end up with at the the peak there then? Probably (laughs) 80 to 100? Yeah, that's great. So we went to 170 employees total. 170. Gotcha. So going all the way back, what I'm trying to understand, and, and by the way, the exit on that, so was that an eight-figure exit for you on that one? Yeah, I'll just say, just for, for sake of uh, privacy, I'll just say it was high seven to eight figures. I got you. I got you. And so how many years from start to finish did it take you to get to the exit? So from the embryonic stages of the idea, the sort of the germination to the exit, how long was, was that? Uh, it was approximately there? 10 years. About 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And when you look back on that business, and it's just you and a, a buddy, so I assume that was your first business partner then, the buddy that was in the den with you? Uh, yes. Or was that just an employee? Was he actually a partner? No, that, was- that, that became my vice president, and the person that wrote, you know, helped me you know, elevate the copy and really hone in on and get it right was um, a partner we brought in. So, uh, that's, so that would be employee number three, so to speak? No, he would have been employee... 
and he wasn't really, he was a contracted team member. So not to get into technicalities, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, it was around like 43 when that happened. Okay. So just, so just so I'm clear, at what point did you cut off equity for anybody at any point in this process? I didn't cut any equity to anybody except their, their said agreed upon percentages or, or annual or monthly or weekly uh, paychecks or whatever. salaries and stuff. Okay, yeah. so so you were so you remained one hundred percent owner on this. Did you raise any money around it at all, or did did it all no. grow organically? All, all grow organically in cash flow. How about that for an idea, right? So as you <laughs> yeah, as, no as, so as you look back on it, then what what do you think was the most important either hire or step that you took where it, it helped you go from uh, again just sort of a, a mom and pop type situation there with you and a buddy working out of the den to really creating a, an actual enterprise, if you will, around this? Was it a key hire? Was it a key uh, initiative? What What do you lay credit to? Yeah, I'll, I'll say two things, Steve, because it's such an important lesson for, I think, even doing the things I'm doing today and working with the clients we work with. So number one is to build a sales machine or a sales system, right, and really focus time on that. So in, in your the, case, just so, just so we're clear on this, in your case it was twofold. It was both the uh, the direct response type mm, activities and initiatives that you had put into place, and then it then it morphed into more of the online automated process. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. okay. What yep. else? Yep. Keep and going. And then the second part was bringing in other talent in in marketing to take it to that next level and help. So in other words, like let, write, writing, helping write that copy was probably one of the most valuable lessons. And I take that lesson with me everywhere I go today, working with clients. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and even though you said you wanted to go online because you were trying not to get more employees, it sounds like you ended up not only doubling, but tripling the employees. So did you find somewhere in the process that you still needed the human connection to make this sale or what was the reason you still continued to hire employees? Yeah. So for, for that particular model, what we realized, and I still, and I believe this even today is that human connection is an X factor, Mm. right? People are, I I find a lot of people in the online space are just freaking lazy. Yeah. And, and what happens is it's great when you can build that, fully theoretical because most of the time it's theory when people talk about it being fully automated is the fully automated online model, right? When you add just an extra layer of, of care and support with the human connection that you brought up, it's an X X factor from a a few levels. One, it's exponential in the outcomes that you can get. Because as I described in a very clumsy way, my application process, right? We had a certain number of people that that bought, but there were certainly far more people who didn't buy, but they filled out that application Mm. and we would follow up with them and just say, Hey, we noticed that you, uh, didn't finish your getting started with us. What was missing? And they had a question or two and we would enroll more than 50% of the people by just a simple, not a sales call, but a simple follow-up call because we cared. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after a sale, like we did simple things. And I learned this early from a guy named Joe Girard, who was arguably the greatest car salesman in the world. I read one of his early biographies. And, you know, at one point I might have some of the stats wrong, but he was interviewed like his number one sales strategy that allowed him to sell over like a, 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 I believe it was a 10 year window, approximately 13,000 and a hundred cars. 
Mm. He averaged six car sales a day, and he all one-on-one, no fleet sales whatsoever. Mm. Average six sales a day. His top was like 19 in one day, Jeez. which is unbelievable, right? Yeah. Insane. Like in so Iowa? Said, <laughs> yeah. I don't know where. It might have been <laughs> Iowa. Um, and I don't know. Um, they said, well, what is your number one strategy? He said, I, I simply uh, sent out a card to all my cl- clients monthly with not promotion, but just simply saying, hey, I was thinking of you, and he'd give some value, like a tip or a strategy or a reference, and he'd typically include something like, you're awesome, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that was what he claimed to be, and so we did that. Like, you think about it, as you're listening right now to this or, or whatever, and like, when's the last time from any company you've bought from in the last decade, they've sent you a thank you card, not just once, but maybe like every quarter mm-hmm. or every every month. Like, mm-hmm. how can you differentiate yourself is just add an extra layer of care. So we, I looked at these little touch points. How could we add to it? So part of why we added the extra staff that we did was not necessarily so much for sales, but it was also for the support side. Right? Yeah, no, it totally, totally makes sense. So you exit out of this business. It's 10 years in. That was your first real endeavor. You had had other businesses before that. I just want to make sure I'm clear on uh, on where we're at right now and sort of that career traje- trajectory there. Yeah, that was about the midway point. So even though it was the first major one, I think the experiences of the previous companies really you know, helped me leverage into that mm-hmm. from, from the mistakes as well as some of the things that did work. Uh, coming up to that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was about, uh, so it was 99 is about the halfway point of my almost 30 years now. Mm -hmm. And and so you then parlayed that into another business or, because I know you worked with Joe Polish for a number of years uh, and you're obviously now doing your your work with Breakthrough X and and so on. But I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how you then took those lessons and applied them or took that Mm, sort of that windfall, if you will, and applied that to whatever that next business is. So what what happened next? You get this windfall. You didn't have any equity partners in this. So I assume whatever the net was, the net came to you. What what did you do next? Well, let, let's back up and I'll speak to the elephant in the room, right? Like why did I choose to sell my companies, mm-hmm. right? And so this is like sometimes a backstory people don't want to hear, but I, but I, you know, I just like to just share what's in my heart. Because for me, I, I have had a tendency, Steve, to be a typical type A personality, hard driver. Uh, at that time, I'll say the most important thing for me was achieving and building and growing a company, right, mm-hmm. and companies. Actually, at the time, we were building like three, four, or five companies at once. And I ended up breaking down. You know, two weeks, in fact, after my son was born, I ended up waking up with chest pains. Mm. And I ended up in a hospital. I spent four days. I had a procedure. I had to sign a disclaimer while I was there with all these tubes all over me after days of multiple days of all these tests they were running, et cetera. And I had to sign the disclaimer for the surgery. It said, a one, you have a one in X chance of dying on the table. And mm. granted, one in X online conversion, we wouldn't even, it'd be like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> right? But when it was like, that for my health and me surviving, mm-hmm. it, it scared the it scared the shit out of me. Yeah, is what for it did, sure. right? For sure. And I remember sitting in the hospital the night before the surgery, writing what I thought could be my last night, and crying, crying like 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 a kid, and, and like sobbing because I was like, 
man, I, I don't want to be that dad that never spends time with his kid, that never really gets to see him grow up. And when his kids are older, they say, how was your dad? Well, my dad worked his ass off. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, and I went through this like transformation that, that day in the, that time in the hospital. And, you know, then I went from, you know, God, just let me get out of this. And then I was like, I'm going to make some shifts. And for me, I started looking at, you know, do I really need all of this? Do, do I even want all of this in all of many this, ways? All of this being a, a, a $20 million business or whatever it was at that point. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and it had a lot of benefits. It had a, certainly a lot of perks. It yeah. certainly fed my soul in, in one way. But it didn't. It, I realized it wasn't going to feed the way I had set it up. And I remember sitting in a meeting at Genius Network with, uh, with Joe and Tim Ferriss. And they shared two statements that I wrote down. And it was one part of the pivot that I decided to make of it. And uh, Tim shared, he said, if you want to break breakthrough, you got to be willing to break something. Mm. Right? Like break old habits, break things that don't work, break old rituals, break old mindsets, break challenge, you know, challenge things that may not be awesome. And then Joe Schiff followed that up with be willing to destroy anything that isn't excellent mm. in your life, mm-hmm. that isn't serving you. Right. And I had also hired a coach. Her name is Christy Lopez. We're still friends today. And uh, Christy got me to really get more selfish about like what I really needed to do and who I wanted to be and all that sort of stuff. And I was going through coaching with her at this time because I was pretty solid that I wanted to set the stage to sell my companies. Right. She got me to look at Dan, uh, three key questions, which I make most decisions today based on these three questions. What do you want? Right. Who are you? Not the like titles and labels, but the human, not the human doing stuff, but the human being stuff. And then what do you stand for? The values. Mm. And when I got clarity on that, Steve, for me, it was A, crystal clear to sell my company. And B, it was time for me to really work on me. I was 70 pounds heavier than I am today. Wow. I was sleeping an average of two to four hours a night being your, your psychotic entrepreneur, wow. which is, you know, it fits a lot of us. It, I mean, it's part of our left of my own devices. I'm still that person. It's easy for me to just work my ass off. It just is. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love building stuff. I love helping clients. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yet I also wanted to be a better husband. I wanted to be a better dad. I was, you know, sluggish. I didn't sleep. All the I had some other bad healthy habits, drinking and other stuff. And the reality, I came through that experience, set the stage to sell my companies to to get to experience this like new level of joy and freedom that most people dream of. And I got it. I remember being able to go play golf multiple times a week and travel and go hang out and all this stuff. And then I hit like a low. I I got really massively depressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hear this. I thought I was the only one. And I went into isolation. I left Genius Network. I'd been in Genius Network for five years. I isolated myself because I thought I was the only, like, for me, I was like, I'm the only idiot that's ever sold a big company and doing great. And like, I feel like shit and I'm like depressed and sad. And like, I, I don't even know what I want to do. Like, yeah. and, and so I had to get things in order and I, I went through massive focus on, on me and what I wanted and all these sorts of things with the coaching. And I came out of it and really got clarity, Steve, on like the next thing. And who do I want? You know, Dan, Dan Sullivan of strategic coach has a great question that I, I think about often. I recommend clients think about it. I recommend anybody in business think about who do you want to be a hero to, which is his question. Who do you want to be a hero to? 
And I thought about that. Who do I want to be a hero to? And for me, it was like working with successful entrepreneurs because I, I can help them eliminate and avoid the shitty mistakes I made. Yeah. And I can help transform their business. So, so that ultimately, and there's more to it, but that was the short version. <laughs> if there is, if this is short. Yeah. No, uh, the short. backstory, I mean, look, the backstory yeah. is definitely appreciated. And uh, yeah. in our remaining time here, I'd love to try to get into some more nuts and bolts that'll, yeah. uh, that absolutely help the entrepreneurs that are looking to start, you know, to start scale and, uh, and exit. And so Richie, I know you had a, a question for, for Dan as well. Yeah. Th- <clears throat> First, thanks for sharing that, Dan. I uh, for sure definitely understand that story, uh, that, you wanted to break something to to get back to fix you, right? So that's the reason you sold that company. I was wondering, part of the process, before you sold that, sticking with the theme of breaking things, and some of your mentors said you had to break things, what were some of the systems or processes that you had in place when you were a million-dollar company that you had to break and put new processes in place to, to get to the $10 million? Oh, Richie, great, great question, and I'll, I'll, I'll come at it from two sides. One is the mindset of it, and then the other is the actual strategy around it. So the first was, you know, for me, like, you know, I'm a bull in a china shop. I'm uh, a lone ranger, right? And and so I see this in a lot of entrepreneurs, right, The, uh, the that, that, that syndrome, if you will. So the hardest thing I think for me, and, and I see a lot in, in others, is getting out of the way and letting go. Right. So to get from a million to or seven to eight figures, for me, it was about getting out of the way and letting go. And then you brought it up. The key is system. So really moving. We had a system where we had leads come in manually and then we'd feed those leads. Right. To many degrees, I'll just say they weren't completely cold. It's not like they were calling out of a white pages or something like that. You know, they had, you know, indicated and raised their hand. So they had opted in essentially to learn more about our so we took leads and then took them to salespeople. What we did to leverage it was we had a lead come in online. We cultured them, right, on the process and educated them and then got them to the sales. And that was a huge transformation. The difference between going to one-on-one manual to one-to-many. Got it. So like an indoctrination series kind of is it, what you're saying? Exactly. Exactly. That would be a simple way. And so – and today, that strategy shows up, Richie, in, in what we call the 3D formula. It's document it, duplicate it, and then delegate it, right? And we did that in creating our sales machine and our sales system uh, to, to actually, it short, this type of method shortens the curve. It helps reduce the time it takes to actually enroll somebody. And it moves you from a, a, a sales culture to a buyer's culture. In my early years, I'll say, just speak to the elephant room. The truth is, my businesses were probably more of like a traditional, over-the-top sales process at times for clients. Mm-hmm. And this shift of having a lead come in online, bring them through what you call the indoctrination sequence, or we call the education sequence, uh, overall the culturing sequence, moved it from a selling model to a buyer's culture and a better buyer's experience. And um, yeah, that, that changes the game for companies. Yeah, oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. So, uh, what I'm trying to understand then is, let's move towards what you did next, because obviously you learned a ton around, you know, what to do, what not to do with that first business. You were able to scale it. You were able to exit it. I mean, that's every entrepreneur's dream. You had this wake up call. You said, "Hey, I got to be doing more with my life." This, that, and the other. Yeah, you then ended up dancing with Joe Polish for a while, right? I mean, like, how did that come about? Did you just decide I don't want to have another business? And is that a, is that a step that a lot of entrepreneurs should? 
potentially look at uh, after an exit is, you know, maybe I don't want to be carrying the the burden of all of this. Maybe I can just take that windfall and and go out and do something that, you know, really puts fire in my soul, but I don't have to carry the burden of everything. Yeah. So part of it happened by accident. Uh, you know, Steve, after the sale, I was doing independent projects, you know, freelancing, really trying to hone in like, OK, where do I want to plant my my roots? And yeah, answering that question, who do I want to be a hero to? Successful entrepreneurs. Now, uh, Joe, Joe and I knew each other really well because he had bought one of my programs in the early years, which is how we met. And then I was in Genius Network. I was the third member when he started Genius Network in 2006. And then I was in it five years. Then I had this experience of selling it and took two years off. And when I came back into Genius Network uh, to a meeting, right, just as a member, like as people would go, I was sitting in one of the meetings and one of the members was like, well, what are you doing now that you've sold your companies and this and that? I said, well, just fun independent projects mostly, you know, so kind of freelance work and uh, being a dad and working on my health. And he's like, would you ever think about teaming up with Joe? I mean, I'd love to take credit. There was some strategy around it, but there wasn't. Mm -hmm. It kind of happened because, you know, I was just freelancing at that time. And he said, would you think about it? And I didn't, I was like, I didn't, I didn't know Joe needed any help. Mm -hmm. So he, he reconnected us to have that conversation. Richard did Richard Rossi and Joe and I sat down and then we sat down over several months trying to figure out how we could work. So Joe hired me and my company to come in as like the outsourced CEO, if you will, or, or like a strategic growth partner to help him. And we were able to install basically the sales machine and sales system that I described a little bit earlier. In many ways, we came in and installed that kind of a model for, for and with Joe to free him up. Mm -hmm. And it went from, you know, we had 30 some applicants and candidates the year before we got there to, we built the system to, you know, stimulate and generate over a hundred applicants a month. A month. And wow. Yeah, and so it had this hockey stick type growth. He went from 60-some members in his 25K group or, or Genius Network to, to over 200-plus members. And then his annual event um, at that time was pretty small. Most of it was members only. That that, that event started selling out every year, mm -hmm. right, because of this, this type of integration of the marketing with the sales machine or the 3Ds, the documented, duplicated, delegated. We created a lot of momentum, and I, and I was – you know, I also was smart, I think, in many ways, uh, Steve, that I wasn't trying to, you know, just go and get a bunch of clients, you know, do, take that approach of go one centimeter deep and at 100 miles wide. I looked at Joe and, you know, first of all, I respect the hell out of Joe. He's a good friend. And I was like, you know, A, I want to serve Joe the best way I can and really help Joe, you know, break free in his business. And, and B, of course, self-serving, this will be a great case study. Like, mm -hmm. I'll be able to tell this story if it works for years, right? And so so I did, and I stayed focused on that for five years. We, we parted ways both happily and enjoyably uh, back a handful of months ago, and Joe's still a huge advocate uh, yeah. overall, right? So did you end up getting, I mean, was there equity involved with that? Was there a buyout involved? I mean, obviously, you helped scale this thing tremendously. How, how did it become amicable for both of you in a way that it was a win? Yeah, I mean, two sides. One, I had a, uh, a performance bonus based on the growth, right, which is, which is a model that I just love. And even working with our, you know, now we have a few dozen clients and we work that way with them as well, where we come in and, you know, there's a fee-based model on, on an ongoing basis for some small skin in the game. But the real upside is really on the growth that we generate. So 
that was how we set it up for Joe. But now he, in many ways, gets to carry that forward for as long as he wants to use the system. Mm -hmm. uh, beyond that, I probably should have figured out a way to create a licensing agreement forever. No. Right? I yeah, was just no. going to ask you get growth from then on. Yeah, I mean, as you, yeah. lo as you look back on it, I mean, I can tell you with, with Looker.com, I mean, one of the mistakes that I certainly made was not keeping the domain and just licensing it, if you will, to the existing business that ostensibly uses the domain as the you know, as the foundation for its business. But, uh, I mean, I would think to some extent that's something that you, in hindsight, probably could have structured differently where you would get some sort of ongoing residual or something of that nature. Is that, uh, is that one of the mistakes you think you made in that structure? Uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I could see both sides of it. Um, one thing that those types of setups can sometimes do, though, is make it harder to do business with you up front. Right. I think, first of all, I had a lot of trust with Joe and respect because I was in Genius Network, so we had a strong relationship, and he knew of my companies. He knew of the sale. He also knew you know, what I went through in my health crisis. Um, and then I made a, essentially an irresistible offer. I made it so easy for him to say yes, mm -hmm. right, that virtually no risk for him, right, that it could be cut at any point. And and then it was based – the big upside was based on performance, and, and, and I got it. You know, I got the highest – performance bonus that we set up and it worked yeah. and so so i i, I just well, the way I, why i'm hesitant I, I would look at joe because joe has been around the block he gets pitched by thousands of people every like week it seems mm. and uh you know everybody's got a new idea for a guy like joe or you know the top people out there like a tony robbins or dan sullivan etc and and i wonder if i would have had something like that with like some hooks in with licensing if it would have just complicated it to go oh okay well maybe we'll do it and then that maybe becomes a no, like using, uh, I think, it, what is it, um, Derek Seaver's uh, CD baby. You know, mm -hmm. it's either a hell yes, a maybe is a no, and a no is a no, right? That it would have turned an absolute yes, easy yes, to a maybe, which would be a no. So, well, and plus so, to your point, too, I think the long play is using him as a white paper now. You're going to get so much business. I mean, the affiliations and everyone he has, there are people probably standing in line to have you help him now. If you want. Yes. Right. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So I look at that strategic byproduct probably being worth as much or more than, you know, any kind of licensing fee. But I, I Steve, believe me, when I say that, I'm like, you know, maybe I, I could start doing that with these new clients mm -hmm. I'm working with. Right. And, and why wouldn't you? I mean, uh, at some right. point you got to slow it down and just, you know, if you can generate any sort of residual income, obviously that's, uh, that's the holy grail around all this. So I, I just want to make sure that I'm clear on this. So the existing, the, the new business where you've applied all of these lessons learned and uh, obviously you've been able to generate uh, hopefully enough um, income and kept enough of that income now over the years uh, to be able to fund what it is that you're doing in a meaningful way so you're not feeling the, the same pressures that maybe you were as an early on entrepreneur. Are you thinking it, uh, about it from the standpoint of, hey, let's, uh, let's take this to, to 10 million plus again? Yes, yeah. So how so? so? Well, our, our model will be built on working with uh, high-achieving entrepreneurs. And then I, I still am fascinated by working with the smaller entrepreneur, that entrepreneur who might, you know, because you know, you know how it is. A lot of small business owners under a million a year are struggling with getting clients on a consistent basis or a steady flow of clients, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just seem to have a way to simplify, you know, maybe they've tried all kinds of other uh, experts and it just hasn't clicked for them for whatever reason. And... So I enjoy serving that audience. So we're right now in the process of building out a beta program that I, I foresee 
being a, a model that we will have hundreds of people come through that that won't be like a coaching program or a mastermind because I, I I wouldn't even want to get anywhere near close to like Joe because of my relationship, all the respect to him. It'll be like an eight week to 12 week program where we bring, bring people in and completely make over their business to get them that steady flow of new clients. And it could then lead to like a higher end type of thing where we're working with them more side by side or my company, because I have a team of people that can you know build sites and build funnels and run traffic and all these things now that we can be a done for you solution if they grow to that place too. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what, so what is the revenue goal on this? So what are you guys going to do this year? And what do you think you'll do next? Uh, this year for 2018, I think we're going to uh, be right around the seven figure mark, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll call it our first year in business, but I've got almost 30 years of experience to do it. And I'm taking a slow approach because I'm really honing in on like, what do the clients really want? And then discerning between, you know, because like, it's like when people go attend an event, right? And people speak, right? If people do a 45-minute keynote, I look at it today and go, did they really need 45 minutes or could they have gotten that across in 10, mm-hmm. right? So I'm trying to narrow down as we take a few people through a, a ba- couple beta programs here. It's like, okay, what is the 80% of shit that I can just cut out and get to the 20% that's going to be most meaningful, most impactful, and get them the greatest results? Because the other thing that most people don't have today is time. Mm. So, you know, do the most with the shortest amount of time uh, to, to work together. So I'm taking a kind of actually a slower approach than I probably have at any point in my business career because uh, I'm just more of like go do it and you'll kind of figure it all out as you go. And I'm taking a very methodical approach. So this year we'll do, I expect, seven figures. I expect within 18 months beyond that to be at uh, 10 million or more. Mm-hmm. And so as you look then at the way that you're building this business, what, what are the two most important things you're doing right now then to get from that seven to eight figures? Uh, continuing to build the lead model, right? Uh, also building it from a perspective that it's not guru-based. It's not predicated on me. So mm-hmm. I'm even already starting to, even though we're kind of in this infancy state, build it in a way where it's not uh, reliant on me having to be involved at all, mm-hmm. right? That That's one of the biggest things. Everything I'm building is, is looking at it going, how do I set it up so I don't have to be involved? So it could be bringing and, and strategically partnering with other types of experts that bring a certain type of superpower. Like, for example, one client, I'm d- testing this with uh, two of our high-end clients right now. Um, I've brought along a traffic expert into the relationship and they're really spending more time with that particular traffic expert. But I'm the one facilitating it, if that makes sense. So I'm positioning myself more as the facilitator in my own company so that it does make it more of a lifestyle business and I have more freedom and I don't suffer the same kind of angst and uh, crisis that I did in years past. So kind of Oprahfication. They're, they're Dr. Phil or whatever. You're Oprah introducing them to the new Dr. Phil. You don't have to show up for the show no more. You just That's right. <laughs> That's a great way to say it. I might steal that from you, Richie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oprahfication. I like that. Go yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a quick question on, on that particular thing. Um, is this still educational-based now? So when you're saying you're helping businesses – I love both. Steve brought this up a couple of times that the dot-com world and the information marketer world should get together more. And I, I, 
live in that space right there. And just wondering how much of what you do is like in the stuff space, the e- actual e-commerce, or is it still coaching and um, kind of, I know it's not ethereal stuff. Esoteric. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actual stuff stuff. Nothing yeah, against so, either. So you, you bring up a great question. Like, so coming back to the, who do I want to be a hero to? Right. So uh, a small number of our clients are like coaches or consultants, right? The majority of the clients we have, we have a couple dozen right now um, in in these programs, are like one of my favorite clients is uh, an expert in stem cell therapy, right? Like, which I foresee to be, it's either going to crash really hard because of regulation issues, mm-hmm. or it's going to be like one of the potential biggest health booms in the next decade, I think, right? But they're a client, and what they have is a superpower for their clients to uh, bring other, you know, bring doctors together to get them traffic. Basically, they have kind of a tr- done-for-you solution to bring bring them new business, and it's a high-ticket type of model. So we work with this client. I'm fascinated by the technology. I'm fascinated by the quality of the the people that are a part of it. And in in like in our world, like we kind of hear the same kind of principles all the time, and be, it kind of becomes just white noise. But you go to a world like that where they haven't heard it the same way. Mm-hmm. It's like giving them like a magic pill, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they're, and not only do they get it, they're excited to go apply it. We have a, another client uh, on the East Coast that's an HVAC company, believe it or not, right? So this is a a big company of forty employees. You know, they do a pretty significant amount, close to eight figures a year, and we're bringing them direct marketing principles. A lot of it digital, converting them to a digital platform, and they, for them, it's like that magic pill, right? And they've never seen it before. It's almost like not that they haven't seen or heard of it. They've heard of it, but they've never like seen it work for them. And we're helping them install these types of things. Um, so, so, and I could go on I, you know, with the couple dozen client. Most of them are outside of the coaching industry, Richie. Mm-hmm. And I love it because it allows me to stay fresh. It allows me to stay close to the vest of like what's working now in real time and in these multi industry channels. And you know, because you know my team or or whatever, we're helping them run their ads on, on different platforms, Facebook and Google and these sorts of things. We get to see like what is really working. And then we can take, like if it, it works in one niche, we can take it out of that niche and install it in another niche and it can be a huge multiplier. So it's like, spe- I think, I feel like it's speeding up growth, which my brain, you guys might be able to tell that already, like the way mm-hmm. I bounce around my, mm-hmm. my ADD, that I actually love that sort of stuff <laughs> to be oh. able to pull from one and add to another and it becomes a multiplier and then and bring it's, it back so. it's the most fascinating part to me i mean when yes. someone finally realizes all the different ways you can be building custom audiences that you could literally build a business sell a business and you still can have a custom audience that knows what everybody just did with the business you just sold so there's yes. so many fascinating things you can do with this this data yeah. So let, let, let me ask you this, Dan. So for those who are thinking about you know, starting their business and, and they're in that mode of potentially scaling and on the radar at some point is the holy grail of exiting, uh, what do you tell folks that they need to be thinking about now if they want to exit from their business? Um, so so it, it's a deep question, so I'll, I'll look at it this way. So the Small Business Administration in 2015 published this report, and I'll give you Dan's layman term version of it. Say there's three reasons most businesses fail. Number one, they don't have a marketing plan. Number two, uh, they don't hire correctly. And number three, their overhead's too high, right? 
So I believe that the greatest solution for the small business owner is implementing a sales machine or a sales system. And that includes the combination of online digital marketing with a selling mechanism that like what Richie pointed out and noticed earlier, which is the connection piece because it gives you such an X factor. And, and, and I could go far deeper than that, of course, but that would be the simple, mm-hmm. simple version that I think is a game changer to spend the time focusing on. I mean, the old Dan Kennedy quote, you and I are not in the business we think we're in. We're in the business of marketing the business we think we're in. Mm-hmm. And when we can come at it from a place of what would have to happen to build in a automated ongoing sales machine or sales system that brings me a steady flow of new clients and you spend 60 70 80 percent of your time focused on that it'll solve most of the other problems yeah no point really well taken all right my man we'll uh we'll let you jump here and uh just want to give folks an opportunity to connect with you and learn more about uh, about you so if folks want to get more information on you dan where where's the best place for them to go Best place to go is to uh, championbusinessblueprint.com. That's championbusinessblueprint.com. We have a series of on-demand trainings that we make available and update regularly. So you'll get our most current up-to-date strategies available right now in real time at championbusinessblueprint.com. All right, Dan Cashel, really do appreciate you being here on the Best Business Podcast with us and definitely really for sure appreciate you sharing the insight and, of course, the story of what led you to the work that you're doing now, man. So any uh, any in the last words for anybody here before uh, Richie, Mary, and I sort of debrief on this? Well, I'm a big Disney fan, and I think you and I have talked about that in the past, Steve. And, yeah. um, you know, in business, obviously, there's ups, there's downs. Um, there can be, you know, situations where you have, you know, clients who copy you and take your stuff and all this sort of thing. And, and Disney certainly faced his fair share of that. And I love this quote from Disney, uh, which is a, is, is, a, is a huge takeaway, which is, you can steal my ideas, but you can never steal my magic. Mm. And I encourage you as you're listening right now, and I mean, Steve, you bring great wisdom out into the marketplace, amazing guests. You know, hone in on what it is that is your magic because you have something that is your magic. Identify what that is and then really focus on driving that deep because your competitors, your, the people who go in business with you or for you or against you, they might try to steal pieces of your ideas. Don't sweat that stuff. Focus on your magic because they can't steal that. All right, Dan, really do appreciate that. And we will uh, we'll definitely be in touch soon, man, because I uh, really admire the work that you're doing in the world there. And, of course, wish you nothing but the best moving forward with your new endeavor as well. So, Mary, uh, covered a lot of ground there on, yeah, uh, on today's awesome. Best Business Podcast. And, uh, and I got to tell you, you know, reality is we can have a hundred guests on, and a hundred guests will give us different answers on what it takes to start, you know, to start, scale, and uh, and exit a business. There, what uh, what kind of stands out for you in uh, this discussion with uh, Dan Cashel? So we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, and they might be in the five range, six hundred range annually. Talking to people who have done it in the millions, they're not really saying something that is unreachable Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's just maybe the way they worked it through Mm -hmm. and learned from it and then replicated it or improved it and replicated yeah later so i guess if you can think of five hundred thousand, maybe you should think of five million Mm -hmm. yeah for sure richie what stands out for you i would say that it takes time Mm -hmm. none of these so far have been less 10 years for the first one pretty much 
And every time you talk about a billion-dollar company, they say at least the same, too, right? Sure. So maybe there's some sort of threshold there. Who knows? We'll figure out more when we get to the, the best, best business podcast when we're doing $100 million people. <laughs> but um, I, I think, one, it just stands out the time. And we always want things so quick, especially nowadays, that just staying the course. Mm-hmm. And that none of these guys have had it figured out from the get, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, to his point right there, that fail because they have a mark didn't have a marketing plan. But it, it even seems like then that morphs and that changes over time. Everyone For that sure. we talk to, yeah. so time yeah. and that it's going to change. The vision you have at the beginning is not necessarily the vision at the end. Yeah, Wade, I know you've uh, been listening over there in yeah. the booth, man. What, uh, what what was your take on that? What kind of stands out for for you out of this uh, conversation today? Well, again. You know, and I've been doing this for a decade and listening to various and sundry business people. So universalities, you know, always kind of stick out to me. Mm-hmm. And he really reinforced, you know, like Richard is saying about the time and everything. My definition of an entrepreneur or, you know, the distinguishing factor, in my opinion, is the willingness to move into the unknown. Mm. And like he said, when he's setting up the deal with Joe, we didn't know what it was going to be. Yeah. It's just let's move into that figure it out, and be fearless, kind of embrace the fact that we don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an attitudinal thing. Yeah, for sure. So the the three Ds stood out for me. And what was that? Document. Uh, I know the third one was delegate. delegate. I know the third one was delegate. And there was uh, uh-huh. a second D there. And Yo, I think without I the D, I'm going to have to listen to, I'm gonna have to, listen mm-hmm. to the playback on uh on our own show here. Maybe, Kelly, you remember exactly it. what I'll that is. It. But there were three Ds. But keep I, talking. Don't worry about no, it. No, I'm all good on that. But I, I will say this, that, you know, one of the themes that uh, the themes that we're certainly seeing here uh, is a willingness. And I think, Richie, this just goes to your question, is that willingness to, and I guess to Tim Ferriss's point, that will that willingness to break something that may have been working to say, you know, we we actually need to sit back. And do this in a completely different way. So what got you to, I mean, what was the name of the book? What got you here won't get you there, right? And so what got you to that million bucks won't take you to 10 and probably won't take you to exit, right? So, you know, some really good insight there from from Dan and appreciate him sharing, uh, you know, his full full story there. But I hope that you guys are starting to really understand now that you listen to a few episodes here of the Best Business Podcast that there is a big difference between the five-figure entrepreneur and the six-figure entrepreneur. And, of course, then an even bigger difference as you get to seven and eight figures and let's leverage their strategies and tactics. All right, my friends, from Mary Goulet and Richie Ote. You've been listening to Beyond Eight Figures. Share your thoughts on today's episode and what you'll apply to your business by emailing us at feedback at beyondeightfigures.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment now to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep scaling.